blesses him. He blesses him by saying, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. I love this. Who does Abram belong to? God most high. Abram is blessed because of who Abram's God is. That's why Abram's blessed. It has nothing to do with his victory. It has everything to do with who his God is. When you consider the broad view of your life, there's really very little that you control beyond the choices you make. In today's teaching, Pastor Daniel follows Abram as he prepares to recover his nephew Lot, who's been taken captive. Abram is a just man, but his total faith in God will dramatically affect what he's able to achieve. For us, with God, everything is brought under control. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 1 with part one of his message entitled, The Abrahamic Covenant. This patriarch series, we're looking at the life of right now Abram, who is going to be renamed Abraham, and we're going to see that next week. But it's interesting, God called Abraham. He told him to get on the road to leave his family, and that God was going to bless him, and that God was going to give him a... Uh, a land to live in and God was going to make him a great nation and if you were tracking along with us the last week you found that right away there's a famine in the land he goes to and he ends up in Egypt and then all of a sudden him and his nephew Lot and their herdsmen are are disputing over wells and lands and there's conflict and now this week we're going to find that his nephew Lot is going to be taken into captivity and Abram's got to go get him And I wanted to start with this because so often we have this idea that like God has called me and now my life is going to be like the eternal slip and slide in Jesus. Woo! You know what I mean? Where it's just like God's called me, he sent me in a direction and everything is just going to be so easy and great and there's going to be no issues. And the problem with that mentality is, is that the Bible just never says that. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation, but what? But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And the reality is Jesus doesn't promise us ease and comfort and no issues in following him. What he promises is that no matter what befalls us, if we're following him, he'll be with us. And Abram is just another in a long line of biblical examples of somebody who God has called And God said, look, I want you to head in this direction. And then everything starts to go wrong almost right away. So following Jesus means following Jesus. It doesn't mean that Jesus is going to take you on the easiest path. Okay? So in a lot of ways, I mean, Robert Frost, I mean, one of the great poets in American history, talked about the road less traveled. And following Jesus is that road. Don't think if you're following him that everything's just going to be super easy. Oftentimes, things get more complicated. But following Jesus is not in the easy outcome. It's in the details of going in and out of all these situations and having them be complicated sometimes. So Abram 
He ends up in Egypt. His wife ends up in Pharaoh's court. Oh no, maybe there won't be an offspring for Abram. But God works that out. Then there's the issue with Lot. And, and Abram says, hey, listen, Lot, you choose. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. But let's be at peace. Maybe God's promise of the land is going to be thwarted. But Abram chooses to go towards Sodom. He leaves the land of Canaan for Abram. Problem solved. Chapter 14, in verse 1, look at what it says. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, area king of Elisar, Chedalamar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemaber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. They all joined together in the valley of Shittim. And that's what it says in there, so don't worry. That is the Salt Sea. Twelve years later, they served Chedalamar. And in the thirteenth year, they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chedalamar and the kings were attacked with him, came and attacked the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, and the Emim in Shabbath Kirathaim, and the Horites in the mountains of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and attacked the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who dwelt in Hazazan Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adama, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Shittim. Against Chedalamar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now, the valley of Shittim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Now, this is a lot of information, and, and really to break it down, what you have is you have the eastern kings, and then you have the Jordanian kings, right? And there's a war. That's pretty much what happens. Okay, you have the eastern kings like Amraphel, king of Shinar, which is in modern-day Babylon, uh, Arioch of Elisar, Chedalamar of Elam, which is east of Shinar, and then Tidal, who is the king of the Goyim, which is the king of the nations. And so you have these eastern kings, and then there's a war against the Jordanian kings, which was Bera, the king of Sodom, and Bersha, the king of Gomorrah, uh, Sinab, the king of Adamar, and, and all this. And pretty much what they're explaining in these verses is that there are two federations. The eastern kings, which were led by Chedalamar, and then there was a rebellion. It would seem that Chedalamar was the, the kind of the head guy in this federation. And then there was a rebellion against this federation by the Jordanian kings, which will include Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, all of this is in here to simply tell us that there was a war. Lot had pitched his tents over there by Sodom, in Sodom. In this fray, what ends up happening is his lot gets taken. So there's a lot of details in there. And if you like all the details and place names, again, you could send me an email and I'm happy to give it to you. But I've found that in sermons like this, if I just rattle off this place is here and this place is here and this is this and 
by the time it's all a bunch of information, and if I ask you after the service, you'll be like, I don't know what you said. So, but if you like those details, I'm happy to give them to you. Just send me an email. It's really easy to do. All of that is telling us simply this, that lot in this war between these two federations, Sodom and Gomorrah, that area gets conquered by the federal federations of Chedorlaomer. They all flee. Some flee the mountains, some get taken, and Lot ends up with them. Okay? Now, from there, you get this. Verse 13. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol, the brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided the forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods, and he also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. Wow. So imagine this. Lot gets taken. The eastern, the Jordanian kings, Sodom, Gomorrah, and these other nations, they end up in captivity or in exile. They're fleeing to the mountains. And one guy gets away and comes to this man. Now notice he's characterized here as Abram the Hebrew. That's the first time you get that in the Bible. Abram the Hebrew. Now, remember when we were going through the earlier chapters, we saw that man named Eber, which is where the word Hebrews comes from. Because if you think about it, and you, you wouldn't know this unless you studied Hebrew, and if you haven't studied Hebrew, I encourage you to. It's a fun language. The H, which is a hey, that is the definite article. So like we would say like the king. It would be an H prefixed on to the word king which is the Hebrew word melech. So Hebrew is the Eber. Hebrew. It means the descendant of Eber, who is in that royal line. First time he's used, called this here, Abram the Hebrew. Now notice what happens. He comes and he tells Abram the Hebrew, he's dwelling by the terebinth trees of Mamre, and we get a couple details about this. And as I said last week, the terebinth trees of Mamre, this is, became maybe the center place of the end of the book of Genesis with each of the patriarchs dwelling there for a time. So the terebinth trees of Mamre, that's that location. Now, it's interesting what happens. Verse 14. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, I wanted to stop here and I wanted to make a point because if you're here on Sunday... We talked about how Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn and give him your left also. Right? And I made a strong point that Jesus is not saying if somebody is harming you physically because the slap on the right cheek with a predominantly right-handed humanity was the highest of insults. Jesus isn't talking about receiving physical punishment. He's talking about being insulted. And he's saying that when you are insulted, you should be generous instead of returning insults. Right? But a lot of times people take that verse and they say, Jesus believes in pure pacifism, which means that if somebody comes to attack you, to hurt your family, that you're just supposed to let them do it. 
right? And a lot of people would use that verse in Matthew chapter 5 to, to make that case. But as I told you, that's not about receiving physical harm. It's about receiving insults, being insulted, being maligned. Now here we get Abram, who we know is the great patriarch, who is, in fact, you know, the, the father of monotheistic religion, when he finds out his son Lot has been taken captive by arms, he gets his 318 servants and he arms them to go. So the question is, is what should a Christian's position on violence be? War. And I think the Apostle Paul says it the most succinctly. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I love that. If it is possible and as much as depends on you. What that means is that as Christians, we should be radical peacemakers. And I say radical to the point where we should exhaust every single possibility to settle things peaceably. And at the point when it is inevitable, then I do not believe it honors Jesus for us to roll over and do nothing. So if somebody entered my home to hurt my family... I would do everything within my power to diffuse the situation. And if the situation, if there was no way to diffuse it, then I'm going to protect my family in the name of Jesus. So what it teaches is that I believe from the Bible that as a Christian, we should be radical peacemakers until it's absolutely impossible to for a peaceful resolution and then we should be most humane in bearing arms most humane we should never have excessive violence never retribution founded violence just enough to calm a situation down i believe that's very very biblical and if you look at all these different places i mean jesus told us those who live by the sword will die by the sword remember peter cut off malchus's ear trying to protect jesus and jesus healed him so we want to be radical peacemakers as much as, as within us. And what I have found is that God's bandwidth for peacemaking is much greater than even mine is. Where I think peacemaking ends, oftentimes God says, no, no, no. There's more long suffering to be done. Does that make sense? Because Abram here, godly man, we're going to meet Abram in heaven. He died believing in God's promise of Messiah. He didn't know his name was Jesus at that time. Abram, we're going to meet Abram in heaven. And Abram, when he found out his nephew Lot had been taken captive, grabbed his 318 soldiers and went on out to go find him. And I believe that's very honorable. Now, what's interesting here, notice this. Because you know what happens. He, Abram goes on out, he attacks them, and he wins. And it's fascinating that Abram with the Lord and 318 men could do what five kings without the Lord couldn't do. Do you see that? Abram with 318 men and the Lord on his side did what five kings and their armies could not do without the Lord. My pastor used to always say, Daniel, you and the Lord in any crowd is a majority. And I think that's important for us to remember that if the Lord is on our side, then it's all going to be okay. That you and the Lord in any crowd is a majority. So it's interesting. What happens now is Abram goes, he defeats these kings of the east, 
Look what it says in verse 16. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. So Abram is returning with Lot, with all of the people, all of the women, all of the goods, and now the king of Sodom is coming to meet with Abram. But then this story, this narrative gets interrupted. In verse 18, look what it says. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So Abram is returning from battle, victorious. The king of Sodom is coming to meet him. And then this man, Melchizedek, king of Salem, shows up. Now, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, gets a lot of time in the scriptures as well as in the Old and in the New Testament. Why? Because he shows up out of nowhere. The name Melchizedek, it's two Hebrew words slammed together, Melech and Sadek. And if you've ever studied Hebrew, again, now twice in one message, I think it's the Lord trying to tell you guys, study some Hebrew. It's not hard. I mean, I know we're all still working on English, but, you know, Melech means king and Sadek means what? Righteousness. So this man's name means the king of righteousness. Now, what's interesting, it says he's the king of Salem or Shalom, which we get the city Jeru Shalom. He is the king of Salem. The word Shalom means peace. So this guy is the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. And it says also that he is the priest of God most high. The king of righteousness, the king of peace, the priest of God most high. What does he have with him? Fascinating. Look what it says. He brought out bread and wine. Elements of communion, bread and wine, the communion table. It's fascinating. And what does he do? He blesses Abram. Now, you got to think about this for a second. Think about this. Abram comes back from victory, right? He comes back in victory and he meets a man whose name means the king of righteousness who is the king of peace, who comes out with bread and wine, who is a priest of God Most High, and he blesses Abraham. The book of Hebrews picks up on this. And you're going to read this. If you read the book of Hebrews all over and over and over again, in Hebrews chapter 7, you read about how Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Not part of the Levitical priesthood, but part of a priesthood that even predated that. And I love this blessing because look at how he blesses him. He blesses him by saying, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. I love this. Who does Abram belong to? God most high. Abram is blessed because of who Abram's God is. 
That's why Abram's blessed. It has nothing to do with his victory. It has everything to do with who his God is. And I think this is important for us because we do live in 21st century America. There may have never been a more materialistic culture than ours. And most of us have more goods than anybody else in the world, but yet we don't realize that we are the most blessed, not because of the size of our house, not because of how new our car is, not because of how many toys we have, not because of how many channels we have on a plasma screen TV. None of these things actually matter because our blessings come because we are the possession of the God Most High who possesses all of creation. So if you're the kind of person whose glass happens to be half empty more than it is half full, you don't want to fill up that glass with self-help, which is no help at all. You don't want to fill up that glass with positive thinking. You want to fill up that glass with the reality that if you are born again, then you are a child of God. He adopted you by choice, his own choice, into his family, and all of our value... All of our self-valuation comes from that relationship. And this is important because, you know, we live in a self-esteem culture as well. Now, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily against wanting to affirm people. But when you tell children, you can do anything, you're actually lying to your kids. Because if I say to Obadiah, Obadiah, you can do anything. And he says, well, I want to have a baby in my womb and deliver it naturally. And I don't expect him to say that, you know, but I just set him up for failure. Say, Obadiah, you could do anything you want to do. And he ends up being like me. Five foot six. A lot packed into a little body, you know. And I always, I've always wanted to be a center in basketball. Because just the idea of dunking, you know what I mean? Like, you guys get what that, you know, you see, you see LeBron James, you know, and he has one of those power dunks and I'm just like, yes. And I can only dump on like, dunk on like a five foot net. You know, and I remember I used to play basketball on the courtyard with my friends and I had some friends who were pretty good ballers and, and I just wanted to post everybody up like a center, like just bump into them like this, bump in. But I'm like five foot six, you know. And my friends would just laugh because I just thought I was just Shaquille O'Neal, but I was really Spud Webb, you know? And they just, they just wait there, and I turn around and jump, and bang, you know? See, no matter how hard I tried, I'm never going to be an NBA center. God just didn't give me those genes. See, rather than telling our kids you can do anything, the way to truly build self-esteem, it's not self-esteem, it's grace-esteem. And we say, listen, I love you and God loves you more. You are my child, but God has adopted you into his family if you believe in Jesus. And listen, you're going to make a million mistakes, but God still loves you. And you're going to have to work hard every single day. You're going to say, God, I want to honor you. And some days you're going to fail. And when you fail, you're going to look to the cross and God's going to say, I loved you so much that I died for all your mistakes. Jesus is Today we heard that Abram was able to do what five other kings couldn't, defeat an enemy that had taken his nephew captive. Abram went out to battle with God's blessing to right a situation where there was no other course. Abram belonged to God Most High. He was blessed because of him. Like Pastor Daniel reminded us, we're blessed not because of what we have, 
because we belong to God Most High. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, we'll see why we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves. Even though we're fatally flawed, Jesus died for us. He believes we're worth it. Under grace, we have to be givers, and it's more than just tithing. Pastor Daniel will explain what it means to be a cheerful giver and why it's more than just a percentage. As for Abram, he'll make a difficult choice because he doesn't want what men can give him, only what God can. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through the Abrahamic Covenant. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.